Welcome to studentofthebible.com. I'm your host, Renee, and I'm a Bible student. I'm glad you are, too. Thank you so much for joining. Pray for discernment and ask God to show you how you can share this information with others and be a blessing. Welcome to my Christmas podcast, part two. During our last podcast, we learned about Advent, which means the coming. And we learned about the symbolism of lighting the four Advent candles in preparation for the coming of the birth of the Christ child, the acceptance of Christ into our lives and hearts, and the coming anticipation of his return. We learned that the candles represent hope, peace, joy, and love. We discovered that caroling has been around for thousands of years. And we found out that the celebration of Christmas probably started in the mid-4th century, but was outlawed for a time by the Puritans, both in Europe and the United States. We learned reasons why we celebrate Jesus' birthday on December 25th, but we acknowledged that, more likely, he was born in the spring or the fall. And we don't know the exact year. In today's podcast, we're going to take a look at some other important parts of the Christmas story. The shepherds, the wise men, and the star of Bethlehem. I'm going to start with some of the coolest news we've heard in a long time, and we could all use some good news, right? We are actually going to be able to witness a rare astrological event on December 21st. Now remember, December 21st is the winter solstice. Well, this rare astrological event was last seen 800 years ago, 1226 AD to be exact. Now, Jupiter and Saturn are going to do something really neat. According to astrologists, Jupiter and Saturn, which are technically our two largest planets in our solar system, while in reality they're still going to be hundreds of millions of miles apart, on December 21st, from our vantage point here on Earth, these two planets are going to look like they're nearly touching. And what's going to happen is there's going to be this radiant point of light that is actually being dubbed the Christmas star or the star of Bethlehem. And what makes it even cooler is December 21st, we know, is the winter solstice, the longest night of the year. So we certainly could use a bright light. And remember, we learned in our last podcast that the winter solstice has held special significance for thousands of years because people living in the Northern Hemisphere knew that the night after December 21st, light would finally start to conquer darkness and there would be a lot of celebrating going on. Well, this year, winter solstice, December 21st, we should do some celebrating. Jupiter and Saturn will appear to be literally within inches of each other via a telescope, forming what scientists are calling an image like a single star. Whoa, mark your calendars. This is going to be amazing. Now, astronomers have long theorized that the nativity star, 
might really have been an alignment just like we're going to have on December 21st with Saturn and Jupiter. This is called a conjunction. Some scientists believe that a conjunction of Jupiter, Venus, and this bright star called Regulus occurred around 2 BC. Well, what exactly was the star of Bethlehem seen by the wise men over 2,000 years ago? Well, as you can expect, there are many theories. So one theory is this conjunction of the planets, which certainly would make a very bright light in the sky, as we're going to get to see. Another theory that you actually probably see on a lot of Christmas cards is that there was the appearance of a comet. Now, a comet's tail points away from the sun, and it appears to look like an arrow, right, that stands over the Earth. Well, this is kind of interesting. A bright comet was recorded by the Chinese in about 5 BC. Now, Halley's Comet, that was visible in 12 BC, but we think that's too early for Christ's birth. Scientists who like this comet theory say that in 5 BC, the tail of the comet would have been in the southern sky, as you could see from Jerusalem, and the head of the comet would have been close to the horizon, with the tail looking like it was pointing vertically upward. However, comets aren't that rare. And this is kind of interesting. In ancient times, comets were commonly associated with doom, death, disease, and disaster. Whoa. So it seems unlikely that men from the east would have felt that this was a good sign and warranted a long trip to follow it. All right. There's another theory that the star that appeared was light from what we call a nova. There are records from astronomers in the Far East that a new star in this small northern constellation called Aquila was visible in 4 BC. Dr. Robert Cockcroft, who is uh, the manager of the planetarium in Ontario, Canada at the university, he has said, quote, this new star would have been positioned directly over Jerusalem. A nova can appear as a new star in a constellation and fade over the following months. And then it goes on to explain. It is also not too bright, explaining why we don't have any records of it in the West. But then he goes on to suggest that this nova might have given the wise men from the east something to follow. And then he goes on to say, since it would take months to get there, by which time the new star would have risen in the sky to appear in the south, and Bethlehem lies due south of Jerusalem, the Magi could possibly follow the star to Bethlehem, unquote. So, Novas are, in reality, dying stars, although when you see them, it kind of looks like a new addition to the nighttime sky. The appearance of novas is unpredictable. Really bright nova, I guess, becomes visible, scientists say, around every 20 years or so. So astronomers say that 
the most bright novas just suddenly appear and then unexpectedly, like literally flare into the overnight sky. And certainly if someone was watching the sky, that would capture their attention. But after several days or weeks, it then just gradually fades away. Now, even more spectacular but rarer is something called supernovas. And these are stars that, this is so cool, suddenly blow themselves completely apart, producing this like brief, incredible energy output that according to astronomers, listen to this, it's the combined light of an entire galaxy of stars. And then they go on to say that at the height of a supernova's outburst, it can shine with a brilliance capable of casting shadows. It's like the sun, right? And can even be seen in broad daylight, unquote. Can you imagine? I mean, this certainly seems like an event worthy of the birth of a king, right? But before you get too excited, although a nova or a supernova may be the most scientifically satisfying explanation for the Star of Bethlehem, there's a major flaw with it. There's no record of a bright nova or a supernova appearing in the sky during the time that biblical historians believe the Magi made their journey. Yeah, I know, I did say that a nova appeared during the spring of 5 BC, but apparently these Chinese records which describe this object say it really wasn't that remarkable. So, was the Star of Bethlehem a miracle? Planetariums started to kind of be popular in the 60s, and there was this famous lecturer in the San Francisco Morrison Planetarium in the late 60s. His name was Hubert J. Bernhard. He was known for putting together just really interesting lectures on the planets. And at the end of one of his lectures on the topic of the Star of Bethlehem, this is what he said, quote, if you accept the story told in the Bible as the literal truth, then the Christmas star could not have been a natural apparition. Its movement in the sky and its abilities to stand above and mark a single structure, these would indicate that it was not a normal phenomenon, but a supernatural sign one given from on high and one that science will never be able to explain." Unquote. I like that explanation. You know, the Gospel of Matthew is the only gospel that talks about this miraculous star and the visit by the wise men. Let's read the story found in Matthew, starting in chapter 2, verses 1 through 12. After Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came to Jerusalem and asked, Where is the one who has been born King of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose, and have come to worship him. When King Herod heard this, he was disturbed, and all of Jerusalem with him. When he had called together all the people's chief priests and teachers of the law, he asked them 
where the Messiah was to be born. In Bethlehem in Judea, they replied, for this is what the prophet has written. But you, Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah, for out of you will come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod called the Magi secretly and found out from them the exact time the star had appeared. He sent them to Bethlehem and said, Go and search carefully for the child. As soon as you find him, report to me so that I too may go and worship him. After they had heard the king, they went on their way, and the star they had seen when it rose went ahead of them until it stopped over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they were overjoyed. On coming to the house, they saw the child with his mother Mary, and they bowed down and worshipped him. Then they opened their treasures and presented him with gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. And having been warned in a dream not to go back to Herod, they returned to their country by another route, unquote. You're probably familiar with this story, but let's look at it with fresh eyes. First, you may have a nativity scene in your house, complete with shepherds and wise men. How many wise men does your set contain? Tradition said there are three. Well, where does this tradition come from? We didn't just read in the Bible that there were three. And what about their traditional names, Gaspar, Balthazar, and Melchior? The Bible doesn't name them either, does it? After Jesus was born, Matthew's account tells us that Magi came to look for him, probably from an area which is now either Iraq, Iran, Saudi Arabia, or maybe northern Syria. Although they're often called the three kings or the three wise men, the Bible doesn't tell us how many there were or that they were kings. One theory about why we say they were kings is because during this time, there were kings in Yemen and these kings were Jews. But most likely they weren't kings but they were definitely intelligent men. The word magi comes from the Greek word magos, and that's where we get that English word magic. Today, we'd call these people astrologers. Back then, astronomy and astrology were all part of the same study of science. Now, these magi would have followed the patterns of the stars really with religious vigor. And most likely they would have been rich and held in high esteem in their own society and also in other societies because of their great intelligence. But honestly, the Bible tells us very little. It says that these magi or astrologers saw an unusual new star in the sky and they knew that it told of the birth of a special king in Israel. Huh, how would these astrologers have known about the prophecies of a special Jewish savior? 
Well, remember that period of time in Jewish history when the Jews were held captive in Babylon? That was several hundred years before this. It's possible that this story had been handed down to them. And remember, we learned when we studied the story of Esther, there were still many Jews in this area. So depending on how far these men traveled, it would have taken them possibly months to arrive in Jerusalem. Therefore, it seems most likely that they would have traveled in a group of more than three for safety reasons, and most likely because they were intelligent and therefore most likely wealthy, there would have been servants with them as well. So, more than three visitors. It seems that tradition of there only being three was based on the fact that they brought three gifts. What were those gifts? Gold, frankincense, and myrrh. Now, since the beginning of early Christianity, people have tried to understand the significance of these gifts. Well, it appears from a lot of other documentation that these were really valuable items, and it was sort of the standard gift to bring to honor a king or a deity in the ancient world. Gold was, of course, a precious metal. Frankincense was a perfume or an incense. And then myrrh was an anointing oil for a king. All these gifts would have come from a region east of Israel in Arabia. Now, here's what's really interesting. In the Old Testament, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 60, verse 6, it tells of nations and kings who will come in the future restoration of Jerusalem and, quote, bring gold and frankincense and shall proclaim the praise of the Lord, unquote. Now, in addition to the honor and the status implied by the value of these gifts of the Magi. Some biblical scholars think that these three gifts were also chosen for maybe some special spiritual symbolism about Jesus himself. Gold, representing his kingship. Frankincense, a symbol of his priestly role. And then myrrh, maybe a prefiguring of his death and embalming. You're probably familiar with this idea. Well, I think it's ironic that most of what everyone thinks they know about these visitors from the East doesn't come from the New Testament, but from legends and traditions. They weren't kings, most likely, and wise men doesn't quite do them justice. And of course, we're almost certain there were more than three of them. And they most certainly weren't present at the manger when Jesus was born. They showed up weeks, months, maybe even one to two years later. Now, remember your nativity scene? The Magi should not be at the manger scene. Actually, you should probably put them in another room in your house. They were not there when Jesus was born. Did you notice what I read? Quote, On coming to the house 
they saw the child, unquote. Jesus is no longer in the manger, and he's no longer a newborn baby. Ah, details. As I said, only Matthew records the visit of the Magi, and it's a brief account, really spare on the detail, and let's be honest, shrouded in mystery. He tells us that they first visited King Herod. Now, this is Herod the Great, who records indicate died around 4 BC, okay? Matthew tells us that before trekking out to Bethlehem to the house where the star leads them, they visit the king. Then they visit the child Jesus, present their gifts, and then return to their own country through a different route because they've been warned in a dream not to go back and tell Herod about the child. And then they're never heard from again. Well, here's a bit of interesting irony. It's about 745 miles from the city of Babylon in Iraq to Jerusalem. So if in fact our Magi came from there, that would be well over a month's journey by caravan in biblical times. And it would be even longer if they were from further cities of Persia and Iran. But here's the funny thing. Matthew tells us that this group of pagan astrologers was willing to make that journey so that they could worship the promised king of the Jews all because they had seen an unusual star in the sky. But literally down the road, it's less than seven miles from Jerusalem to Bethlehem. King Herod wasn't interested in making that trip to check out the birth of a new king. And also, think about this. Apparently, neither were the Jewish chief priests and scribes. They knew the Old Testament where Micah's prophecy said the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. In fact, Matthew tells us that Herod called in the teachers of the law, but they didn't bother to find out what was going on? Huh. Meanwhile, Matthew tells us magi from the east completed their journey and, quote, rejoiced exceedingly with great joy, unquote, as they worshipped the royal messianic child. Wow. <laughs> okay, what about the shepherds? They were actually a part of the action that night, so keep them with your manger. This remarkable story is told in the Gospel of Luke. Let's look at chapter 2, verses 8 through 20. And there were shepherds, living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. 
you will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has just told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told, unquote. Okay, if you have good news, who do you tell first? Well, when something wonderful happens to me, the first people I want to share it with are those closest to me, the most important people in my life, people who are family. They've proven themselves to be trustworthy over time, and I know that they're going to rejoice with me. They'll rejoice with me over my good news. When God had the best news ever, who did he tell first? Important religious people? Wealthy people? Learned people? Actually, no. God told shepherds first. Now, Luke takes us to the fields where there's these humble shepherds doing what shepherds do, keeping watch over their flocks of sheep. And then, whoa, lo and behold, an angel appears to them. And quite honestly, they've been wondering what was in their drinking water, right? Can you just imagine who wouldn't be frightened if just then an angel, no, no, not just an angel, a heavenly host appears, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth, peace to men on whom his favor rests. Why shepherds? Well, it seems that our gospel writer Matthew answers that question with their response. They just learned these humble, uneducated, filthy, probably stinky guys, that God's favor rests on them. Think how amazed they must have been that God chose them to hear the news. Imagine how unworthy they must have felt, but honored. Isn't it ironic that God chose those shepherds instead of the religious Pharisees? It appears from the gospel writers that many of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin thought rather highly of themselves and quite honestly loved religion more than they loved a relationship with God. And while they may have thought that they deserved to hear the news first, God chose a really different audience to reveal his amazing news. And instead of questioning the authority of the angels or the validity of the news, what did the shepherds do? 
They talked among themselves, so I can only imagine that discussion. And they decided, let's immediately go to Bethlehem to see what the Lord has just told us happened. So they go to Bethlehem, most likely with their sheep in tow, and they see the baby and Mary and Joseph. And then what does the Bible say that they did? It says they shared the good news with others, and everyone who heard it was amazed. They didn't overanalyze or overthink the situation as being unbelievable, and they didn't worry about their reputation if people didn't believe them. They just shared the news. Next week's podcast, we're going to learn about the Holy Family's trip to Egypt and the reaction of King Herod the Great. We'll also talk about where was Jesus born? Recall that our Advent candle this past Sunday symbolized peace. So far, we have lit the candles of hope and peace, and this coming Sunday, we'll light the candle that symbolizes joy. Gosh, that's a lot of good news to share. Who will you share it with? Have a blessed day.